Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Larry Kim here, and welcome to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today we have Bridget R. Hart on the line with us, and we'll be discussing uh, love and Web3. Uh, Bridget, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself so people uh, know more about your background and who you are? Hi, Leonard. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'd love to. Um, so my name is Bridget Hart, like you said. I'm an operations and growth strategy consultant, um, <clears throat> but I also have spent the last 15 years researching love and digging into, like, how can we do that on a consistent basis, day by day, in our real-life relationships. So it's through that lens that I've begun to uh, dive into the Web3 world, and um, yeah, it's just been a really fun and interesting journey. Awesome. Well, some of our listeners might not know exactly what Web3 is. Would you like to take a moment to kind of walk them through what it is? Sure. Now, I'm going to give you the layperson's definition of these things because I'm not an engineer. I'm not a, um, you know, a developer or anything. I'm an operations person who helps those type of geniuses execute on their on their goals, right? But um, generally... My understanding at this point, you know, it has a lot to do with the blockchain technology and this idea of um, <clears throat> moving from a more centralized platforms such as, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, to what could be more individualized or decentralized platforms that um, and and peer to peer kind of computing and networking and the ability for us to connect directly to one another within the uh, internet infrastructure. Uh, specifically, my understanding is that that would be um, in conjunction with the ability to make small transfers, uh, small payment transfers between ourselves directly without the influence or, or uh, interruption of outside, you know, banking or sources, et cetera. So there's a lot to it, but um, it's kind of, to me, about how we're going to be connecting to one another more directly in the future of technology. So it's kind of like a world of tech where, let's say, we're, uh, we're in real life, you would buy like a bagel at a shop and you would use a credit card. It's kind of interacting in that same way with payment transfers, but you're not necessarily buying a bagel. Right, it could be, and and honestly, my perspective is definitely looking at how this interacts both with the virtual realities that we're, you know, experimenting with now and learning about, uh, as well as our in real life interactions. Right, I always think that technology ultimately uh, should be here to kind of enhance our actual real human experience, as opposed to replacing it in some kind of way, which I don't think is actually even possible. Um, but yeah, exactly. It's kind of like a way for us to connect with the community and create micropayment systems among ourselves that can that everyone can access, uh, regardless of their financial capacity to, you know, pay giant gas fees and <laughs> transaction fees ultimately. 
Yeah, so maybe it's more like uh, walking into a museum and like paying like a ticket fee to walk into a museum. Yes, absolutely. That could be one version of it, right? And then maybe there's other versions of it that could be that you buy that ticket and a part of you purchasing that ticket means that maybe you own a piece of that museum and all the art that's in that museum. And perhaps your investment in that membership is allowing those artists um, to have more financial freedom to continue to create their art, or maybe it's allowing the sources of those arts to get some sort of financial recompense, or, you know, there could be a lot of different models. And again, I'm no expert, but yeah, exactly. That's some of the really exciting parts about it for me is ways that maybe we can each uh, contribute to our collective and individual creativities, right? And ways that we can support the artists among us, which to me, is not relegated to stuff in museums, but but yes, that's a great example. Yeah, like it could be a museum, art gallery, anything kind of like that, right? Sure, absolutely. I have a lot a real life community here that I'm a part of, and for us, it's about um, you know we put this or we we are part of this community because we build each other up in our businesses and in our uh, speaking careers and teaching and leading and. Honestly, also artistic careers are several artists as a part of the community as well. And, um, you know, the synergies are that when we come together, we can fill in the gaps, right? With like, maybe I have XYZ skill sets and this other person has ABC skill sets and the other person has LMN, right? And yeah. uh, when we come together, we can actually achieve so much more uh, than we can in our siloed empires that we are out here building. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So maybe you'll have someone with like a speaking background teaching others how to become better speakers. Well, maybe you'll have like a writer teaching others how to become a better writer. And then you'll have like uh, yourself being in operations teaching people how to like keep things together. Absolutely. That's exactly what it's like, you know, uh, and whether I'm teaching people or whether I'm literally selling my service to help them actually just keep themselves together, right? Uh, it's an ecosystem that kind of like you know, we talk about a rising tide raises um, the, all the boats, right? And, you know, I ask, is that really all the way true all the time? Because right now we have a big rising tide in this NFT and crypto community, right? There's a lot of people like, oh, I'm going to go get rich off the NFTs. Um, but there is such a thing as tsunamis also, right? So <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I, wanna, I like to see these more consistent... <laughs> systems like what I'm experiencing in real life with this community of people who are invested in one another, I want to see that translate into, you know, the new age of technology and see ways that we can scale that and, and allow that opportunity for people across the globe. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. And I, I do agree with you where a lot of people are like looking wow, this is the next way to get rich. Do you think it really is? Or do you think it's a uh... Or what's, like, your thoughts behind that? I mean, again, I'm no expert. However, my thoughts are, yeah, some people are going to get rich because there are a lot of lawyers and masterminds um, at the top of big things that are happening, especially in our country, but I know globally, really, that that's true. And those people set things up very intentionally to get rich, and they are going to get rich, Um but I do think that there will be a lot of people who don't. And unfortunately, our society is one where we're more inclined to hear and listen to those stories of like, quote unquote, success, 
as opposed to, and we don't often want to share our stories of quote unquote failure, right? So those people who go out there and invest a bunch of money in some NFT project and think it's going to make them a bunch of money in return, and then they don't, they're not necessarily out there talking as loud as the few people who did, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like, if you think about, like, Pokemon cards, for example, uh, one out of maybe every 100, 200, 300 packs has, like, an amazing Pokemon card that's worth, like, 100 bucks. But then if you're, like, in right. a group online, uh, you see that showing up all the time. But then you don't hear about the people going through the other 199 packs not pulling anything. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. And, um, you know, that can be a big marketing ploy, right? That, I, I'm a marketer by trade. That's, that's what I've done for many years. And I understand, you know, the psychology of persuasion, as uh, Ramit Sethi would call it. And um, it's very powerful. And we are very susceptible to that. <laughs> Yeah, true. And I, I think I think it's just our how our society is like embedded all together. Like a lot of people don't really like sharing like uh the things that don't really work out in life. I mean, um no one really wants to talk about negative things, do they? I mean, not too many people, no, because what's the what's the payoff for us, right? There's there's not a good payoff in our society. A lot of times when we do that, people actually judge us, right? And they treat us like, Oh well, you you suck, you know. Um when actually those stories would be very beneficial if we could push past our feelings of rejection from our greater society or these feelings of like we need to be acceptable, I think we would be more comfortable sharing those stories. And some people are pushing through that and sharing those type of stories. And I don't even know that the power is in sharing the negative stories, honestly. Um, I told you I want to talk about love in Web3, and I do have a super... Um, intentional point of view when it comes to that, uh, but it primarily relates to us really getting in touch with our own inner self and our inner guidance system and learning how to tap into the wisdom that resides within us as opposed to um, allowing ourselves to get caught up in the marketing messages, right? Yeah, you talked a little bit about getting in touch with our inner self. Like, how do you go about doing that and what's the benefits of doing so? So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go about getting in touch with oneself, right? And um, <laughs> I probably could give you a list of 100 specific um, techniques that one could use for that process. It's definitely not an overnight or easy type of thing, uh, but it is one that mm, a lot of our American society has certainly distanced ourselves from. And I have theories on why that is, but but it's really foreign to a lot of us. So. For me, though, it starts with literally getting more in touch with my ancestry, right? Like actually digging in. I found that in white culture in America, a lot of white Americans are very happy to just claim Americanhood, right? They, I'm American. Um, and they have disassociated themselves from maybe their Irish heritage or their British or Polish or German or blah, 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 whatever the many, many, you know, global um ethnicities could be, right? Um, and for me personally, I found that a big part of my process was kind of pushing through a lot of that um, conditioning that I had taken on in my life and actually getting in touch with like, oh, who are my ancestors pre-Christianity and before we began to migrate away? And I'm privileged in that the DNA systems that are out there 
allowed me to do that pretty effectively, right? I was able to, you know, go through Ancestry.com and figure out pretty, pretty clearly where my uh, genetic DNA mitochondrial, you know, line comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a privilege, but that was a big deal for me and a big part of the process of kind of going internal and learning more about who I am and, um, how to tap into my inner self and, and understand the truth from, from within me. I could definitely see that. Like I know when I was in high school, like a lot of the people I were classmates with, they didn't actually know what their heritage really was. And they felt that they were just mm-hmm. American. And I think right. that's a common thread until like 23 of me and ancestry and uh those other types of companies came out which shows more of the genetics of where people came from yeah i and, think to me it's kind of a way of well, go where on. we connect to the earth i'm sorry i couldn't hear you oh uh, and there's also the other side where um some people think they might be like Irish, but then they find out that they're like Icelandic or something else. Mm-hmm. And do. Well, plus when you look at ancestry like me, fortunately my mom happens to be a genealogist, so she's done a lot of work to pull together all these names, right? But I there's seventy five different names of people I could look up my ancestry and find many, many different stories of my ancestry. So I specifically went to look up my, my met, uh, matriarchal line. So the DNA really goes down through the women, right? It always goes through the women. And so I followed my line up through the women to identify where maybe I'm indigenous to, if, if that's a term that I would, that would be appropriate here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, what what was so, that uh, discovery uh, mostly like? You know, it was um, really interesting because, well, there was just layers of interestingness to it. Um, one, I was able to kind of look at, like, where did my ancestors, where were they on the earth, right? Like, what was the actual topography of their earth? What kind of things did they grow? What was the land like? How close were they to water? How did they use water? What were their spiritual practices? And their art forms and, um, you know, things like that. And uh, learning all that just helped me, again, get more in touch with who I am because I recognize a lot of things in myself that may have, you know, maybe this is genetic stuff, maybe not. I don't know. But um, I recognized a lot of familiar things, right? I was like, oh, wow, I, I feel that way or I, I relate to that or I, that resonates for me. So I had a lot of experiences like that along the way. That's pretty awesome. Um, and also... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I said that's pretty awesome. It was super awesome. Absolutely, right? And um, yeah, yeah, it had the effect of having me feel much more connected to the actual physical earth <laughs> and other humans, right? Uh, I don't know why, but that's definitely the outcome I, I got from it. <coughs> nice. And um, through that experience of feeling more connected to the earth and other humans, like, um, what did you kind of, uh, how did that uh, kind of evolve? You know, through that, I dug into more different types of spiritual practices as well and just kind of tried to see, like, what, what resonated for me. So I, um, I tried to learn a little bit about the spiritual practices of my ancestors specifically and looked into some of those things as well as just other 
spiritual practices that different indigenous um, peoples might utilize. And of course, being careful not to be an appropriator, (laughs) I do kind of, I was left with the feeling that God, by whatever name we might call that type of an entity, um, communicates with us actively in a lot of different ways, in many, many ways. And it could be through stars. It could be through cards. It could be through crystals. It could be through people or conversations. Um, it could be through ancient texts or brand new texts, right? Like there's a lot of ways that um, quote unquote spirit um, is able to communicate with us. And really the only thing we need to do is learn how to listen better, right? Like we need to just get in touch with being able to listen, um, be quiet and receive uh, some of these important messages that we from around ourselves. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, it's about time for us to hop off to a commercial break. Where can people find you online? Well, I am at Bridget R. Hart on Twitter, B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T, the letter R, and then H-A-R-T. Um, I've decided to take a non-anonymous approach to my dive into Web3, so I'm going to be Bridget Hart forever <laughs> in the new internet, so... Uh, that's me, Bridget R. Hart. Awesome. And now uh, you can find me at Mr. Larry Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America in Influencers Channel. If you feel stuck, exhausted, or just unsure of how to handle everything at once that life is throwing your way, you'll want to listen to What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most with Eva Medelec. Eva and her guests will help you learn to focus on the most important priorities in your life so you can handle them one at a time instead of being constantly overwhelmed. What's Important Now, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Leonard Kim with Bridget R. Hart. And we've been talking a lot about... uh, Web3 and a lot about genealogy and really discovering the love behind uh, what you're doing and everything. Uh, And uh, we've mentioned a little bit about how uh, 
Bridget, right before the break, mentioned how she's going into Web3 with uh, really defining her identity and not taking an anonymous approach like other people. Uh, Bridget, when you think about like Web3 in general, do you think a lot of people are taking an anonymous approach walking into it? Well, it's definitely been a big topic of, of discussion that I've encountered is people kind of back and forth on that. But certainly I have seen a lot of people embracing the anonymity of, uh, you know, in, within that space. Yeah, I have seen that a lot. Do you think there's a reason for that? I mean, I think personally it has a lot to do with one kind of the unknown um, and it will be probably politically controversial for me to say so, but I think it may also have a lot to do with the possible instability of what is currently being built on what they're calling Bitcoin, right? I don't know much about the technology, but I am a reader and a learner, and I have figured out already that there's this um, fork, if you want to call it, between kind of like BTC or the Bitcoin that everybody is using right now and um, say BSV, which is like the Satoshi's vision of Bitcoin. And um, I think there might be a lot within this BTC Bitcoin space that might not be as honest and as forthright as people would like to pretend it is. And that would definitely encourage a lot of people to have an anonymous personality uh, in that world. Like if we look back at that initial thing with the lizard heads who is that like um i'm not even remember right now but i feel like it started that way right from the beginning it was like oh we're anonymous and we're going to take over and do all this stuff outside of the systems and that's cool but that's not real life the government is not going to really allow for a whole financial system to just exist under their purview without getting their cut i know that for sure uh so this whole anonymous thing i think might have been an effort to stay anonymous while dealing in um, activities that are maybe less than totally verified. Um, unfortunately, I think the blockchain doesn't actually give people anonymity like they think. You know, it does and it doesn't, right? Uh, there's some layers to that conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's a string of financial transactions that are uh, on a very public ledger that someone could go right. and face down things. So I don't really right. know if there is anonymity if someone like links up, let's say, their bank account to it. Right. Because or if they have to verify their identity as they're creating a wallet, you know, if they're having to verify their identity anyways, like they could use any name they want, but ultimately the government will be able to track down who they are. If that's what it comes to, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, yeah. I think it's, uh, I mean, at a consumer level, <laughs> you can see a level of uh, anonymity, but at a true level of anonymity, I don't know if there really truly is one. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's a, this, this idea of on anonymity, right? People can believe that they're kind of anonymous out there, but the underlying truth of the matter is that that's kind of the whole point of blockchain is that it's always traceable and trackable and visible to everybody, right? On the real Bitcoin that was, that was originally done. Now, I don't know what hap what's happening in the inner workings of BTC and Ethereum and all these companies that have now laid on top of that, but 
But I do know that the theory behind it is that it's all verifiable, ultimately. Yeah, I, so. I would agree with that. And, um, I mean, uh, <clears throat> anonymity, like, people may feel, like, on platforms like Reddit that they have anonymity because person A to person B doesn't know who they are. But they have registered right. account, and it comes from, you know, a specific place. So if someone really wanted to know who someone is, it's uh, discoverable. It's really not that hard. <laughs> it's really yeah. not that hard at all. Yeah. And um, that's why I decided not to be anonymous because, you know, I and, and honestly, that was a big decision for me because I am a victim of a violent crime earlier in my life. And I had the perpetrator of that crime write to me from prison years after my assault because he had found my address online and sent me said it was super traumatic to go through that. And I spent a lot of years really kind of fearful about like, oh, if I'm found, you know, and will somebody find me and, and would that be dangerous for me or my family? Um, but over the years, um, I've had to get comfortable with the fact that, yep, anybody can really find me. Like I am findable. And then I just need to put in the appropriate safeguards so that should I be findable or whatever, that I have, you know, worked with enough ethics and enough systems and stability to hopefully be relatively secure, right? <laughs> Even though they can yeah. find me, like I can work to be more secure in how I relate and, and operate, right? I use multi-factor identification, you know, all the different things. I, I, I utilize security measures for sure. Yeah. Um, so when you were like going through that decision process, uh, did you find a lot of benefits in staying uh, more uh, true to your own identity as opposed to being anonymous? Well, you know, I'm just at the beginning of my dive into Web3, so to speak. I mean, I'm really in the first six months or so of, of dive into this world, uh, if you want to say. And I had made this decision about embracing my identity really years ago, right, in Web2 and in just I've been in the creator economy and in, you know, that world for a long time now and working with small business owners and leaders and teachers and speakers and those kind of people. Um, so I had made that decision a long time ago. So it was actually a very easy decision for me to make going into here, into this world. And so far, I haven't suffered a lot of negative consequences for it, but they could come and I will deal with them when they do. Um but I do find that I have a, a positive consequence, yeah, because people generally are like, oh, they already know me. They've been knowing me. And so when I come in as Bridget R. Hart, they're like, oh, yeah, I know you. And most people I actually know in person. I have quite a deep interconnection between my online community and my in real life community because I've been online for so long, right? So most of the people that are connected to me in the digital world know me also in person, in real life, in some capacity. So in the Web2 world, you found a lot of benefit with being <clears throat> not being anonymous. Sure. Brand yourself, right? Isn't that, I mean, that's one of the biggest things we learn. Make sure you brand yourself. Where's you have your website with your, num your name on it? Uh, this is one of the big things we learned in Web2, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think yeah. I feel that carrying that over to Web3 should have a lot of benefits. I mean, it's hard to predict exactly what it's going to be because... Right. 
it's it's in its infancy stages and we don't know exactly what that's going to be manifesting into but i feel that right it benefits um have you watched uh supergirls last season or two seasons ago which one supergirl the tv show uh no i haven't oh it's a interesting take on what the web three could be like i'll check it out what um network is it on uh cw i think Cool. I disconnected from cable so many years ago, right? I'm I'm in that that crowd too, so um, I end up missing a lot of the popular shows that are on regular cable channels now. It's I'm very Netflix. much disconnected from a lot. Yeah, it's on Netflix too. Perfect. That's where I go. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It like. Like Supergirls, uh, it's it's the opposite of Superman. It's a, a female lead as opposed to a male lead, and they live like mm-hmm. in the universe place. But then, uh, like her uh, news station, she works for because she does news just like Superman, which um, is kind of weirdly similar. <laughs> um, yeah, but <laughs> but um, like. They're setting up stuff for like the metaverse, and it shows like an early example of like what it could potentially be like. I'm definitely going to check that out. I have been spending the majority of my time really just talking to people that are in the space, talking to builders in the space, people who are building different things, um, and especially those who are building communities in the space because they see a lot of value in that. And I think that um, our society is looking for that right now, right? We, we want to be connected to one another. We don't know how. Mm-hmm. to connect to one another. It's very hard. And honestly, we have a lot of trauma around connecting to one another after the last two years of, you know, like a pandemic and everybody has germs and am I going to die today? You know, like it's, it's a lot. Uh, but uh, underneath all of that, like community is so important and it is so important that we, um, and it is so important that we find ways to come back together uh, in ways that support uh, our most vulnerable and most marginalized parts of our of our societies. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. A lot of people really do want to go out there and connect, but with how the world's been the last two years, I mean, I think a lot of people are having difficulty in uh, going out there and connecting because they don't know how to do it anymore, and they're scared that they're going to get yeah. uh, called out for being out in public or anything could potentially like really happen and they don't know what to really do. Right. I mean, you get somebody like myself, I actually also have type 1.5 diabetes, right? Which is, um, I won't dive into it. Basically it's type one, same, same difference, um, except extra. And I still have to kind of always have in the back of my head, like I never caught COVID during this whole situation and I'm still a high risk person, right? So here everybody is acting like it's all moved on, but I still don't know if COVID could kill me if I were to get it, right? Like, I might die. I might go out to a party and then die. Uh, that's a lot for us to, to to deal with, you know, mentally and to really, like, overcome those types of, of realities. I mean, that's actual reality. So, yeah, it's a lot for us. We all have a lot to work through on that. Yeah, definitely. And that is a real possibility in the world. And that that is a really scary thing to have to kind of live through. Yeah, it's, it's tough to navigate, right? Because, you know, especially with someone like myself, I'm, I'm, 
I'm an introvert, but I'm a lover of people, right? And I, and I like the warmth of a hug, and I like to connect in small doses with people I love. And um, <laughs> none of that changed. But what did change is, oh, those hugs might kill you. Okay, wow, that's, ooh, let, me, let me readjust how we do things here now, right? And um, we can't just then turn our back on hugging each other and on the, the in-person connection because we still do definitely need that. But this virtual community and the, the idea and the promise or the possibility of virtual community, especially if it can work hand in hand with our in real life experiences and how we can interact with each other, I think it does offer some more opportunities. That's one of the things that we experienced during the pandemic is people who were previously relatively quarantined, right? Like there is a whole part of of the global population that has to stay quarantined all the time for their whole life, all the time. Um, The rest of us joined them for a short period of time. And then a bunch of systems and, and services and products appeared to service us in our quarantine state, right? And so that was wonderful for all those people who had been quarantined previous to that. All of a sudden, wow, we have more of the things we need to be able to survive really well and have a good quality of life. And now the pandemic is, you know, maybe coming to an end or whatever is happening. And our focus is coming back off of that and back just really focused in on this. Oh, we need to be face to face and we need to be in buildings together in our cities and all this stuff. But then we're forgetting that like, oh, all those people who have been quarantined before, they're still having to continue to quarantine. Their life didn't change back to some world where they're now able to get out and about and interact with the community in an IRL type of type of way, right? And so the need for community and the need for connection that is inclusive of those people uh, is still so, it's, it's vital. It's really important, I believe. Yeah, it really is. And I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out how to like navigate through all this. And it's a really yeah. difficult process altogether. It really is. I do have like semi like solutions for people. Like I don't have the answers to the the problems of the world, but I have been studying. The reason I came and told you I want to talk about love in web three is because I've been studying love for 15 years. Um, And I discovered actual specific, you know, actions um, that I call habits because they, they really only work when we develop them over time as habits and, you know, continue to use them. But there are specific things I believe we can do to help us, you know, connect more fully with ourselves as well as cultivating the knowledge and wisdom we each individually need to move forward in our sphere of influence to help bring healing to the people around us and maybe to our whole, you know, ecosystem. So I, I do think there's hope. I don't think it's hopeless, but I think healing is at the base of how we make it through. And and that healing is on an individual basis. Like we each individually have to focus in on our own healing, um, you know, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. um, I think that's the way through. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, Healing is a big part of it. Um, What are are some ways that you've gone out there and, uh, found your good ways to heal? I mean, I am always going to say that therapy is a good thing and people should do therapy. I, 
will temper that with saying that not every therapist is for every person. And if a person does go to therapy and they're not finding that they're having any like success, progress, or feeling good about it, uh, they probably should find another therapist until they find one that really is, um, that resonates for them and that is really helping them get the progress they want. So like all therapy is not equally good, but therapy I think is really important. Um, and then, you know, what I talked about, like kind of reconnecting to our roots, to our, to our lineage, to our ancestry. Um, and then I like to use practices like meditation, you know, some people use prayer or whatever, but I think that meditation and even yoga was a way that I started to get into meditation more or started to learn how to kind of quiet my mind and allow uh, my body to just kind of be and exist and just uh, focus on, you know, the air coming, the oxygen coming in and out of my body. So yoga was a nice like entryway for me into learning how to meditate. And then meditation has been honestly very transformative for me in healing. Uh, and the more I practice meditation, um, the more I find what my pathways are to healing, right? Like healing is a very individual process. It could have a lot of different things. It might be conversations with people. It might be apologies you need to give or, you know, gratitude you need to share. It could be a lot of things. But meditation has been a very crucial tool for me. Awesome. Well, it's about time for us to hop off to another commercial break. Where can people find you online again? Bridget R. Hart on Twitter. Um, Bridget R. Hart, B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T, the letter R, and then H-A-R-T. Awesome. And you can I'm find on me Twitter. On and we'll be back after this commercial break. Voice America is available on your Google Connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. And get amplified. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel.
This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey everyone, Larry Kim here with Bridget O'Hara, and we've been talking about ways to really go out there and uh, d- divulge into like love and healing, especially when it comes to like Web three and so forth. Uh, Bridget, do you have other ways to go out there and uh, really get into uh, the feeling of love when it comes to uh, the uh, Web three and so forth? Well, I think actually the definition I came up with for love out of my, you know, 15 years of study is why I was attracted to Web3 so much. Um, The definition I came up with after all that study was that love is really the energy between us, all of us, every single thing in the universe, not just between humans, but the energy between all of us that allows each of us to manifest our individual creativity. Um, and I think I talked about that, like these, these 10 habits that I came with up with are things that kind of enhance that in our spheres of influence. Right. And when we think about web three, uh, that's kind of the exact promise, right. Is that we have this now connection to one another that allows us to directly contribute to other people's creativity in a very technical, you know, online, like very, like, um, practical type of way right yeah um so that's what drew me to it that's why i was like wait a second i i see stuff here that that reminds me of 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 this human connection that i've been studying and this this kind of interaction that we have with the universe and the earth around us and um and i've been applying my principles as i'm learning about this space and it has served me very well so one of the specific i think i've mentioned a few times as we go along that kind of knowing yourself and diving into who you are is an important part of love and healing and kind of uh, moving with confidence through this space and uh, moving with confidence through life i suppose um and one of the strategies that I've used with this is as I'm learning about something new in web in web three, right? I'm always checking back with my internal compass on how do I feel about what I'm reading? I literally ask my body, how do you feel about this? Right. And I check in with my physical body to see what kind of responses I'm feeling to the things I'm hearing or reading or learning about. Um, and then I take the time to just let, those feelings sit and I just evaluate them. I think about them. I kind of focus in on them a little bit and, and then I trust them. Right. So when I feel trustworthy about something, I kind of like move forward more and I learn more and I, and I dig in deeper. And if I feel a quick aversion or like, Ooh, something's not right here. I just trust that immediately now. And I turn away and I just say, okay, that's not for me. That doesn't mean it's bad uh, necessarily, but it's not for me. And I just now trust that completely. And I really think that, um, Everybody has that internal guide inside of them. Uh, again, it comes back to how well do we listen to it, right? And, and are we able to tune into that frequency that's coming from within our own you know, mind or body as we're learning about these new technologies and what is or is not good as we move forward. And then the other thing I use is just, you know, I have a one of the principles 
that I came up with or one of the actions or habits is trust, right? And the, the action itself is to default to trust or to choose to trust people. But I um, have always backed that up with trust and verify, right? Like it's okay to trust people always, but you should always also verify every single time. Always verify. There is no reason why a trustworthy source of information or otherwise would have a problem with you verifying what it is they say. And that holds true very much in Web3 and in the NFT space and in all these things. And I, and I feel like when you're reading things or learning things and they're coming at you with a lot of words you don't understand, right? And, it, and it's feeling very confusing. Well, then don't trust it until you do understand those words, right? And verify that those words mean what you think they mean. Verify that the language they're speaking actually translates into uh, what you're hoping it translates into, right? And um, verify, verify everything, which is one of the beauties of the blockchain, right? Like we just talked about, like there's verification. There's a, there's a, there's a record of every transaction. So on a base level, the idea of this um, blockchain is very much in line with the principles of love. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a, a great way to go about love. And you've been doing this for quite a while. What has that kind of like manifested into a real life? Well, you know, I've applied it with a lot of clients over the year. You know, I've, did, I've done consulting for many years. And so I found that my system of applying these kind of 10 principles or these 10 actions to client problems has just consistently resulted in excellent results, right? In them achieving their objectives, even if the objectives slightly adjust along the way, right? Because sometimes people think I want this, but then they haven't dug into their own needs and actual what, what, <laughs> what their own body is telling them enough to realize that, no, that's not what you actually want. That's just what you heard you're supposed to want. And here's what you really want. And like, let's go get that. And so I've had a lot of success in working with clients with their businesses specifically and allowing them to get to their truly desired outcome with their business. Uh, and then on a personal level, it's interesting, you know, because we, we define success in a lot of different ways in our society. And one of those very important ways in our society is monetarily, right? Like, do, are you rich? Do you have a lot of money? And there was a lot of years where I judged myself on my level of success because of how much money I did or did not have in a bank account, right? I think I mentioned that I had a whole, like, 15 to 20 year career in human services, which anybody who's worked in that area knows you're not going to pile up a bunch of money when you're dedicating your life to serving humans. Our, our society doesn't value that. We don't pay high salaries in those areas. We don't, you know, we just don't value those people in our society is the truth. And um, I, I really judged myself for that a lot. But then as I was beginning to study love and go through this process over the last 10 years, I started to realize that success ultimately has to be defined by me alone, only by me. And that anytime I allow other people's definition of success to interfere with what my definition is, I will go astray. And so for me, the outcome has been just incredible. You know, I have a happy, healthy, wonderful 10-year marriage I have a beautiful seven-year-old daughter that I, I'm blessed and privileged to, that she's healthy and smart and, and a good student, all these great things. Um, but I was able to, um, you know, adjust my career so that I could do the things I wanted to do, like being her primary caregiver as she was young. And then that worked well going into the pandemic. I was 
flexible enough with my working and my consulting to be able to, you know, scale back and scale up when I needed to and be here for her and be the one that was helping her also move through a lot of these kind of traumatic events. So, um, yeah, I've had a lot of personal success. Now I kind of, I'm on that last frontier where, you know, I do very much predict that financial, uh, Abundance is also underneath all of these things, and and I actually have it already uh, because of all the privilege I've had to be able to be in this position and not be worried about how I'm going to pay mortgage next month or or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, it's in the satisfaction and success of my life. This is the outcome. Awesome. So, do you find a direct correlation with um, love and the monetary success that one could have? Sure. Um, Sure, I do. In that, I believe, ultimately, again, from my 15 years of of study, my ultimate belief now is that the universe has more than enough abundance for all of us. There is so much here, so much resources uh, that we have at our disposal, and um, it's really unlimited, ultimately. Um, And there is zero issue with money being the way that love or that the universe kind of expresses that abundance in someone's life, right? I don't feel that money is evil um, at all, but I do believe that those riches can come in a lot of different forms besides money. And I think that money is super crucial to making sure we have access to, you know, all the other things we need, health and wellness and the community, et cetera. So Again, that's why blockchain is so great. This whole micropayments thing, the, the promise of the original Bitcoin, the Bitcoin white paper, and the promise of micropayments that can be done globally for fractions of a penny. Uh, these are the type of things that, as a health advocate, get me real excited uh, for the future of you know, commerce and, and what we're going to be able to do across the globe. Yeah, you can definitely see that, especially with all the excitement that's kind of like moving in this direction. Uh, when you kind of look at the metaverse and what it could become, like, how do you see that world really becoming? It's interesting. I haven't even dove in to virtual reality. I get kind of dizzy <laughs> in a VR set, right? Like I have a little bit of a motion sickness that hits me when I'm in that. But that being said, I actually definitely see a vision in my head of, um, like I'm kind of a return to the earth type of person, right? Like I garden and I'm like a hippie at heart, right? Like I could probably live on a commune or something like that uh, in real life and be just fine. But um, I see the combination, right? I, I see this vision of us living in these communities where we are able and capable of growing our own food, providing our own uh, stuff, solar energy, being off the grid, being able to be self-sufficient in our in real life living scenarios. This is long-term vision now, granted, but I see us being able to do that and then also being able to connect into the metaverse and into the virtual reality. And, you know, maybe the people who have quote-unquote office jobs of the future, they go into the special, you know, internet room on the, <laughs> in the community and they all put on their headsets and go to work and go to their offices and have all their meetings and go to their conferences and, and do their speaking virtually on virtual stages and all those things. And then they take off their headsets and come back out and have dinner with the family. You know, I can, um, I can visualize that future. So it doesn't scare me at all. In fact, it's, it's super exciting to me. And I think it just opens up more, again, accessibility uh, to to all of us to connect with all of the great wisdom 
that is, is in people across the globe that we are not properly connected to because of financial barriers and gatekeeping that is, um, you know, keeping us from each other. Yeah, I can see that. And I can see a lot of potential really coming out from uh, the metaverse, Web3, and so forth. And when it comes into full fruition, it could be a really good thing. But I do see some of the downsides that you mentioned as well, especially like the motion sickness that you could potentially get with yeah. it and so forth. And it's going to be right? interesting to see like how that all just plays out. Like, uh, is it just going to be a lot of younger people on the platform because they're a little bit more resistant to that motion sickness because uh, they've had more access to it as opposed to uh, older people who haven't put on headsets as much? Or is it going to be adopted from all age groups? Like, it's going to be interesting to see how, what this really turns into. It will be. So I'm fascinated to watch it because I certainly have a lot of people who are older than me who have adopted the technology very quickly and people who are younger than me who are definitely resistant to the technology. So I think there's people in every age group who are, you know, I just don't think that as humanity, I don't think we're lacking anything. I think we have all the parts and pieces that we need and it's when we can really encourage one another to step fully into our unique abilities uh, that we are going to see the benefits of, of all that diversity uh, that we really have. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any final thoughts you would like to leave us, uh, leave the audience with? I guess my final thought would be, you know, look inside. If you're in doubt, try meditation, right? Uh, don't throw your money all over the place. Uh, not yet. Just take a minute, verify uh, and verify by, by checking in with yourself and, and checking in with um, verifiable sources and, and good information and, and data, you know, evidence-based data. So, um, and that, I think, is the key to love in Web3 and to really developing our connection to one another, even in this digital kind of new age. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, where can people find you once again, Bridget, online? I am on Twitter at Bridget R. Hart, B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T, the letter R, H-A-R-T. Awesome. And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.